When it comes to producing lots of horsepower out of a naturally aspirated engine, not too many people do it better than motorcycle engine manufacturers. So when it comes to choosing an engine to go in a radical sports car, obviously it makes sense to start with the motorcycle engine as a base. And we're here with James from Radical Performance Engines to talk about their RPE V8. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. Now, James, you're no stranger to, in particular, the Hayabusa-based four-cylinder engine. You've been using those in radical sports cars for a number of years, and that starts out as a 1340cc four-cylinder engine. Even in stock form, can you tell us how much power those engines produce? Yeah, in standard form, they produce around 200 horsepower. Okay, that's a pretty stout starting point for a 1300cc engine. But of course, if you want to get a little bit further along in the horsepower stakes, more displacement is a pretty sensible way of going. So uh, can you talk it to us about the development of the V8 version of the Hayabusa? How did that sort of come to fruition? Uh, we started off with the SR3 Radical, which ran the standard Hayabusa engine. Uh, and there's always a progression. People want more and more power. So the obvious solution was a V8 Hayabusa. Now, obviously, Hayabusa don't make a V8, so there's a lot of work required behind the scenes by RPE to develop this. So uh, let's start with the components that are still factory. That's probably the easiest place to talk about. So what is still stock in this engine? Uh, pretty much everything from the crankcase up, so barrels uh, and cylinder heads. Other than that, pretty much replace everything. Uh, when it comes to basically taking two of these Hayabusa cylinder heads and two sets of barrels and bolting them together, turning them into a V8, what are the considerations when it comes to designing a crankcase for that engine? We have to obviously attach the barrels and cylinder heads to one central crankcase. Um, so we've designed our own uh, cast uh, macro block. Um, yeah, it's just, you have to take into account windage, positioning of the oil pumps. There's lots of things that go into the design packaging as well. So you have obviously two cylinder heads that are quite close together to, to get the spacing between the cylinders correct. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of design and foresight needs to go into the crankshaft, uh, windage, uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of different things, materials used. Now, I want to come back to that crankshaft in a second, but uh, in, in a V8, conventionally, or well, while there's no set in stone rules, uh, normally we'd make this uh, a 90 degree uh, V angle, so 90 degrees between the two banks of cylinders. Now, uh, you haven't chosen to do that. Can you tell us what the, the angle is and why you've gone that way? So it's 72 degree V for packaging, just get it as compact as possible. So basically, this brings the two cylinder heads essentially closer together, tighter together, so the exhaust manifolds aren't so spread out? Exactly, yes. Okay, so when you do that, when you go from the relatively natural 90 degree angle for a V8 to 72 degrees, what problems does this give you? Well, this gives you the, the first problem is the firing order. So in a conventional 90 degree V8, you have a very easy 90 degrees, 90 degrees, 90 degrees, and so on. Um, but being a 72 degree V, you have a 90 degree format and uh, a 180 degree firing order on one bank, but then a 72 degree after the adjacent cylinder. 
So just to sort of simplify that, in a normal V8 with a 90-degree bank angle, essentially we've got one cylinder, one piston reaching top dead centre every 90 degrees of rotation. So we've got a nice even uh, torque distribution where each cylinder is firing every 90 degrees. But in the odd fire 72-degree V8, that's not the case. Now, does that cause some problems with harmonics? Harmonics is uh, the first issue, really, is just balancing out that harmonic. So a lot of design has to go into making sure the crankshaft can remove those harmful vibrations out of the operating frequency. In particular, when we're talking about a production engine, th- there's always going to be a harmonic dampener fitted to the front, front of the crankshaft. And I think a lot of people overlook just how critical that is to remove those harmful harmonics. And in the case with the Hayabusa RPE V8, as with a lot of racing engines, there is no harmonic dampener. So does this make the job even more difficult? It does. We don't have the luxury of fitting a big harmonic damper to the front of the engine. So if it, you know, it reduces the fatigue life of all the components. The components need to be designed thoroughly, use high-quality components to ensure that the fatigue life isn't reduced by the, the, the harmonics. Now, the other aspect here is there are undoubtedly going to be harmonics. And uh, you, you talked a little bit off camera about getting the design of the crankshaft, particularly the, the counterweight design, uh, so that the harmonic frequencies, where those are occurring in the rev range, are outside of the normal usable rev range. So can you just talk to us a little bit about how that works? Exactly. So in the small pin crankshaft design, we've ensured that the harmful vibrations are below the operating frequency. So you drive straight past the frequency above 6,000 RPM and you're, you're in a band of power where you never, you never introduce the engine into those frequencies. Uh, and the same with the big pin crankshaft. We've, uh, we've basically removed the, the frequencies from the operating area completely. So that's above 10,500 RPM. So just to uh, sort of reiterate on that as well, with the, the, the harmonic frequency, let's say that uh, maybe a 6,000 RPM, uh, if you were to drive the engine at a solid steady state 6,000 RPM, essentially this would be the worst thing you could possibly do in the crankshaft or everything would be creating a huge amount of uh, harmonics that would be very damaging to the engine. But you're saying basically you zip through that and you're never in that range. Exactly, yes. But the the, uh, the design of the engine, it can withstand those vibrational frequencies, but it is designed to, to operate without outside them. Right, now, the other aspect with that crankshaft that I wanted to talk about, conventionally in a V8 or a V6 engine, we would generally see what's called a cross-plane crankshaft uh, where the throws are at angles to each other. Uh, you have designed here a flat-plane crankshaft uh, where the throws are 180 to be 80 degrees opposed from each other. Can you talk to us about the pros and cons of a, a flat-plane crankshaft? A flat-plane crankshaft, you just reduce a rotational uh, mass dramatically it's a lighter crankshaft um, and packaging wise we wouldn't be able to fit a cross plane okay so there's some downsides though with that flat plane crankshaft and again I think this comes down to really sort of the, the balance aspect can you tell us how that works out exactly so because the the, the webbing is quite thin we're not able to, to put a substantial counterweight in there to, to balance out the engine so the balance essentially isn't quite perfect or as, as it should be it's not quite perfect but it's within a realms of being acceptable so in that terms, uh, you've, I guess, got two options there. You can sort of choose to add a heavy metal to the counterweights of the crankshaft or try and uh, reduce the rotating assembly weight piston. And uh, Conrod, is there any development in that, those areas from RPE? Yeah, so we've looked at titanium rods on our larger 3.2 litre applications, um, but a lot of design has gone into the Conrod and piston to ensure they're as light as possible. 
Now just moving back to that crankcase for a moment, we've touched on that already and, and it is a, a casting. These days we're seeing a lot of billet engine components coming uh, coming about. Uh, can you talk to us about the, the decision or the reason to go with the casting versus billet? Originally, it was cost-driven. Uh, we wanted it as a high, relatively high production engine for a you know a bespoke engine such as this. So a billet route at the time was 15 years ago. It wasn't as accessible, so casting was the most logical route. And I think that's probably something that that is easy to overlook. Is uh, if you are looking at a large production run, casting uh, does often become much more cost-effective. Uh, in terms of numbers, how many of these RPE V8s are out there in the world now? So we produce well over 500 now. And obviously the uh, casting has proven to be uh, well and truly up to the task. Absolutely, yeah. After 500, it's pretty spot on. <laughs> now, other thing that's interesting, we don't see this in, in road engines, although very common in, in a purpose-designed race engine, is the cast crank case also includes the dry sump pump as well as the water pump. Can you talk to us about that integration a little bit? What, why do you do it in that way? To keep everything as compact as possible and obviously reducing parasitic drag. The other thing, of course, with that that dry sump system is it means you don't need the uh, bulk of a sump and that reduces the uh, crank, well, you can reduce the crankshaft centerline in the car and therefore get the weight lower in the chassis. Now, the base engine that you produce is a 2.7 litre. Can you tell us how much power it produces? So our 2.7 litre produces above 400 horsepower. Standard state of tune is 400 and we do a, a, a tuned variant, which is up to 440 horsepower. And what sort of RPM does that pull? Ten and a half thousand. Now, if 440 horsepower isn't enough for your client to blow their hair back, uh, you do have some other options as well in terms of increasing the capacity. So how do you, how do you go about that and what is the capacity? So we go up to a, a three litre initially, which is an 81 mil bore and a 71.5 mil stroke. And if that's not enough, we can go up to an 84 mil bore, which brings it out to a 3.2. Now, when you're going with a, a stroker crankshaft in one of these engines, you do need to be mindful of the rod-to-stroke ratio. And, of course, as you increase the stroke, uh, the conrod gets shorter to maintain the same uh, compression height of the piston, uh, same deck clearance, I should say, with the piston. So that starts to become a negative effect. So how are you dealing with that with these stroker engines? Uh, being a bike engine, a modular bike engine, we just run a spacer, bar- a spacer plate underneath the barrel. That makes it nice and easy. And is it reasonable to say that the rod-to-strike ratio does become more of a problem at higher RPM? It does, yeah. We found, obviously, you know, with longer rods as well, they they produce peak power. We don't want to see any thrust loading as well. So we have done uh, long-stroke engines on shorter rods, and we have seen thrust loading, hence why we run the, the spacer plane. Now, the other aspect you have developed for some of your engines is billet barrels to replace the factory high abusive part. Can you tell us why you've done that? Yeah, the sort of standard high booster barrels, obviously a cast component. So when we bore it out to 84 mil uh, bore, we, we're, we're losing the wall thickness. So the barrel can be prone to cracking. So we've made our own in-house billet barrel, which is made out of HE15. Uh, and that's obviously a lot more durable. Uh, now, the problem, of course, is with an alloy barrel, just like the factory uh, barrels there, uh, you can't run rings directly against the barrel. So how do you deal with that? We have them nicosil coated. And that's, again, the same uh, technique as used in the factory. Exactly, yes. Now, one last thing I wanted to touch on there. You've talked about your big pin crank versus your small pin crank. So can we just elaborate on that a little bit? What are those details sort of referring to? Uh, so it's basically the the overlap between the, the big end and the main journal. Uh, and we've basically increased the, the pin overlap to create a stiffer crankshaft that's able to uh, to handle more power. Okay, so just basically increasing rigidity of the crankshaft, increasing that overlap and making the crankshaft less likely to fatigue and fail? Exactly, yes.
I guess, actually, I will finish off with one more thing. I've said one last thing, but here's a second last thing. Uh, with these engines, uh, unusual in the motorsport industry, you actually offer a warranty on them. So how long will one of these engines run under race conditions? So we offer a 40-hour warranty, which equates to around 3,000 to 4,000 kilometres. And at that point, when the engines come back after 40 hours of running, that's impressive in its own right. Uh, what sort of uh, attention or maintenance is normally required? Providing it's been well maintained, warmed up to temperature, it's bearings and rings. That's the standard one. So for a very uh, high-revving V8 engine producing uh, pretty impressive power output, that's actually a, a pretty uh, sort of basic maintenance strategy for, for that sort of mileage, I would say. Yeah, it's very impressive. It's taken a, a few years to get here, but yeah, it's, it's a durable engine. All right, look, thanks for the insight there, James. And if people want to find out more about uh, Radical Sports Cars or the Radical RPE V8, uh, how can they find out? www.radicalsportscars.com and there's a link to our engine department. Thanks, James. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.